Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. Today, I've got the awesome Alan Witch on the show. And today's episode is centered around the profound effect that death and coming back to life has had on Alan's life as he leads it today. If you've been wanting to change your life, then this man's story will certainly be an inspiration to give you a nudge to do just that. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Alan is a retired hotel and hospital designer and entrepreneur for over 20 years. He's developed companies in direct sales, architecture, membership services, coaching, and a lot more. He and his co-founder, Christopher Cumbie, developed Think Bold, Be Bold Ventures and Think Bold, Be Bold Media, which are incubators to aid in the development of emerging and tenured entrepreneurs. Together, they host the Think Bold, Be Bold podcast, and I'm proud to have been one of their guests recently. Their show is doing great, and they are both awesome guys. Now, back to Alan. He's been featured all over the media on a variety of TV stations, at universities, and a lot more. He's also the author of three books, Leaving an Impression, Ten Pillars of Recruiting Mastery, and The Change Six, Insights into Self-Empowerment, which he co-authored. For more information about his work, to get his books, you can visit his website at alanwitch.com. Without any further ado, let's talk about death, Alan. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. I'm honored. I'm not quite sure what to say. Was all that about me? (laughs) I love it when guests are like, wow, I sound amazing. (laughs) Tell my wife and my kids, that'd be great. Well, you'll have the recording forevermore. Excellent. See, I really do exist, kids. See, somebody else said it. (laughs) Now, you know that I did not want to know too many details about your personal story before we did this interview today. I actually prefer to have it be somewhat spontaneous when I work with guests. And so I'm going to be just as on edge as our listeners are today. Um, When you tell your amazing story, give it to us. What happened? Let's uh, probably start with the uh, the medical background, which is really kind of probably the most profound piece that uh, that people learn about me. And I was born with a couple of congenital heart conditions, and they have being congenital just means that you're born with it. And uh, had a number four open heart surgeries over my lifetime, and I had my last open heart surgery three months after I got married, and my wife had said that. Uh, if she only had three months with me, it would be worth a lifetime. And uh, that was 31 years ago. Oh, yeah. And I've, (laughs) yeah, it's been awesome. She knew what was coming. She knew what she was getting in for. Most of the things she knew she was getting. Oh, she's fantastic. Um, Don't know that I would have put up with me for all this time, but she's been uh, amazing and I'm extremely (laughs) blessed. But I had an artificial heart valve put in that time. And uh, that's so it's been that's been in there for 31 years. And I've also got another condition that's uh, called atrial fib, which is not uncommon in in a lot of arenas. But uh, mine has led to having to be electrocardioverted with the paddles, you know, the, the wow. like you see it in the movies. Exactly. Exactly. And I've had that done probably 20 plus different occasions over the last 10, 15 years. And then, uh, what's your, what's your, everybody goes, well, what does that feel like? And I go, well, 
out of all the times that uh, I've had it done, I've only had one time when I really remembered it, and I had it done up at the uh, the teaching university here in Oregon, where I have most of them done, um, because I, I hang around town a lot, and, and then they when they happen, I have to go up there and have them done. But if they give you drugs, they give you two kind of drugs. I don't know the name of them, and I guess that's probably immature. Although some of the doctors are listening, and go, "Oh, I know the name of that," and they're going to rattle it off. <laughs> but it has to do with one that makes you that makes you not feel it as much and one that makes you forget. So wait, you have to do this on a regular basis? <laughs> well, I had it done about well about 20 different times. There was a time when I was having it done once a year, almost down to the day. Wow. Because it would be an arrhythmia that would be an, an irregular arrhythmia that would be constant, that wouldn't, that wouldn't switch over back to s- standard sinus rhythm by itself. Some people take medication. They can take a, a dose of medication that, uh, that will convert it. Some people will convert it with a with a different kind of an IV drip that they have to have in the hospital. Some people will just convert over a period of hours, you know, around their their normal lifestyle. But for me, when I went into that rhythm, that rhythm, I I wouldn't be able to get out of it without being electrocardioverted. And it's not healthy for me to be in that rhythm full time, even though there are a lot of people that are in an irregular rhythm on a regular basis mm-hmm. because their lifestyle allows that. For me, it didn't. Uh, it, it, my heart would race, you know, 250 beats a minute and be a real irregular. Well, it's kind of hard to operate a day when you're, when you're like that. Right. And so they have to, they have to shock me and they give you, they give you two. Now mine were all, almost all of them are under controlled circumstances. They weren't emergent, like on the side of the road, laying on a street corner or something like that. These were all in a hospital room or in, in the ER. So they give me an IV and they give me a couple of different kind of drugs. And like you went off. in just feeling like it I was went in off. For that. Yeah. yeah I, well, I could feel it with that little ball inside of a cage inside my heart bouncing around. I really know when it's not doing what it's supposed to right. do. Right. Sure. And so I go in and they look and they go, yeah. Yep, you're an atrial fib. Yep, we're going to have to cardiovert you. So we're going to give you an IV. We're going to give you a couple of drugs. And uh, we're going to cardiovert you and we're going to send you home. Pretty much that's exactly what happened. Wow. 20 times. Yeah, 20, 20 plus times probably over the period of 10, 15 but years. But at now. one point, you didn't get through okay. No, I didn't get through okay. They, uh, I think they, they misguided or misjudged my weight. Or maybe they didn't do the math right. But uh, they didn't give me enough of, of one or both. And I knew what it felt like, I remembered what it felt like, and I remember what I said. That's medical malpractice in my mind. They gave yeah, you too many meds? Yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. Everybody wow. Everybody knows the extent of my vocabulary that day. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, I, was, I don't remember exactly what I said, but but my but my wife and my best friend that was there uh, knows exactly what I said, and I instead of words, I think I made up a few. I don't know. But wow, really, you were speaking really in bad. tongues. It was that. It, it, I was speaking in something, and I everybody in the ER knew it. But then they people would always say, "Well, what does it feel like?" And I go, "Well, you've seen the the you know the TV shows where they do clear and." The, person's back arches and, and well that does occur i think it's different for each person and their body weight and so yeah. forth and and mine arch too but i i describe the pain as this if you were to stand up stand straight close your eyes take your arms lift them up straight out to your side like you're like you're a cross figure and then somebody wallops you right in the chest with a baseball bat wow that's what the pain feels like wow that's the pain. That's and intense. And it lasts, you know, in, in a second. But imagine being hit full swing with a baseball bat in your chest. That's what it felt like. I don't want to take this too far off onto a major tangent. But, like, 
I wonder if, you know, if we could turn this into like a spiritual philosophical conversation about like, is that the soul leaving the body? That's why it hurts so much. You know, I hadn't thought about it that way, but it it, it could be the pain and the, and the, the problem leaving could mm-hmm. very well be. Mm-hmm very well be i wish it stayed away so you didn't have any kind of like nde or near-death experience where you saw a light and and was you were on top of your body looking at yourself or any of that no not for any of those uh-uh. no and i and uh, because because they're all controlled and they were I, I don't know this has anything to do with it but they were all controlled they were all planned in other words i knew i was going to have them so i had to go to the hospital and have it done uh, that was different with my cardiac arrest, but with these particular ones, it uh, I, I didn't have any of that. It, it, I wasn't out, I don't think, long enough, and I wasn't gone for a length of time because it happened just in a matter of a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a changing, it's a shock in the heart to get it back into a beat. That's different than my cardiac arrest right. when I was dead, when I was gone. Okay, so when you were gone, you didn't have some sort of experience where you were like, oh... I am realizing that I'm dead. No. And which, as, as you know, I have a Christian background, so I, I have a lifestyle that, that's Christian-oriented. And that scared me a bit. That you didn't experience that. that. I didn't experience anything. Yeah. Experience jack squat, nothing. Did that make you question your faith? It made me question a lot of things. It made me question a lot of things. I mean, it... <sighs> I, I think I found rationale with it as time went on that it just wasn't my time and there were so many more things that my life needed to accomplish, mm-hmm. the people that I needed to serve, the uh, organizations and events and things that I needed to be able to help matter. Yeah, um, I, I think that was key. It, obviously, there was no reason medically why I should still be here. I mean, four open heart surgeries, those are all planned. I get it. Anything can happen in, in a surgery that lasts 12, 15 hours. I get it. And there's, it, it. It's all dramatic. And when you're little 50 years ago, the technology wasn't there. So, I mean, I'm lucky to have made those. Totally. But my last surgery, the fourth one, where there was, you know, it was, I was in the OR for, I think, 15 hours. Wow. Any number of things could happen. I was under anesthesia for 15 hours. Any number of things could have happened. And mm-hmm. over the past 30 years with a with a weird ball inside of a cage bouncing around in my heart, Anything could have happened. All these electrocardioversions that I could have died each time. Well, I did die effectively each time, stopped the heart and started again. I could have not woken up each of those times, right? Right. So you're talking 30 plus times. The cardiac arrest, however, was different. Those were not planned. Those were not something that I had anything to do with. That just occurred after a very special night with my wife. And all of a sudden, I was gone. She had CPR uh, for a number of minutes. It, it, it didn't work. Two paramedic teams came in. They shocked me eight times. They gave me 12 cardiac injections. I had four people working on me. I think the only reason that they continued to work on me, um, not because they're not, they're not ethical. They, they're fantastic people. I owe them my life. But they had lost somebody on the call prior to me for the same set of circumstances. Wow. And they oh, were just not letting this person go. Wow. And, yeah. I, 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 they, they still didn't have me back when they transported me. We, it happened in our, our bedroom, and it's three stories up. And they carried me basically in a body bag uh, downstairs. It was It's a, a soft gurney, but it looks like a body bag. 
So here I am in a black body bag coming out of the, the condo into the ambulance oh. and the neighbors are looking and, you know, my wife and friends are following. I never stabilized until I got to the hospital a couple hours. Well, I got to the hospital quick, but a couple hours later, they stabilized me. They put me in ice induced coma for two days to, you know, to hope, you know, stop any kind of brain damage mm-hmm. that, that might occur. And in all that time, I, I, I wasn't of consciousness. I didn't know that it had happened. Uh, when I woke up, I didn't know where I was. I did realize that I was in a hospital. Having been in a hospital in my life, I, I had that instant recognition, even though I was groggy, of what was going on two days later after everything after the event had already happened. Wow. But I had no recollection. I had no recollection of that entire day. It happened late at night. So I had no recollection. So I think that was my body's way or maybe God's way of saying it happened. It's not important, but here's where you go from here. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think that I, if you can pull anything out of a near death or a, in my case, a death experience, it's hindsight's twenty twenty, And what happened before is in the past. You can't change it. So you might as well let it go. I looked at it and go, okay, of all the stuff that I've, that I've been able to create, some on my own, some with a lot of help from a lot of people and a lot of spiritual guidance from above, I've been able to create this, whatever this ends up being. How now can I take this more efficacy and serve a lot more people? There's no reason that I should be here. Somebody's gone to an awful lot of trouble to keep me alive all these years in all these death experiences. Totally. It's, it's so much. It's like... Unfathomable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. You, in effect, should not be with us today. I should no. I should not. I should have probably. It would have been normal if I'd have died fifty-four years ago on my first surgery as a tiny baby on a hospital bed, on a hospital table. So obviously, these experiences, you know, it was like a culmination of all of this stuff, and you're like, "That's enough." Obviously, I'm here to do something important because I keep coming back. So, in what? area of your life did you start to make the biggest shift or the biggest change was it the choices with your relationships or with your business what it had to be um, outside of my family i've always had a very close and very tight-knit family i think part of that's by design by the way i was raised and and the kind of you know father i try to be and the kind of spouse i try to be and and the fact that my family has endured through this medical quagmire um and and I, and I, and it sounds like it's a negative it's not a negative thing an awful lot of people have spent a lifetime uh committing their their talent and their abilities to serve people that need it like me so i'm very honored don't take any of it for granted uh, there's so much sacrifice that's happened in life so that i could be here that's not a burden that i carry but i'm very cognizant of that so i think that's what's driven me mm. um all of my life and see when i after my last open heart surgery i went back into architecture and i designed hospitals for 25 years uh-huh. so see there's a nice way to give back i yeah. don't know that i necessarily designed that but it was something that, that I was really good at. And it just came naturally. I knew what it's like to be a patient in, in just about every area mm-hmm. of the hospital. I understood the economics behind it, the team building, behind putting plans together to build. I, I understood all of that. So that was a great way to give back. But 
that wasn't, that wasn't the end of it. And my cardiac arrest then was, I think, the next phase. Because that just happened a couple of years ago. And that was, okay, now what have I amassed as a human being that I can use to serve other people? And uh, so it was aside from my, well, I can do better with my family. Obviously, I think we're all in the case where we could always improve. But I think the biggest leap came from how can I take what I've learned and help a large group of people? What, in your opinion, have you noticed that people who have not been through a huge uh, set of experiences like you have, they have not gotten these kinds of wake-up calls, what do you find that people like that tend to focus on? What are they focusing their energy on that they shouldn't be focusing their energy on, in your opinion? I think a lot of people, well, that's a great question. I think a lot of people focus their energy on sense of loss, how to mitigate loss, how to mitigate risk, how to keep themselves from losing or how to keep others Mm, from losing as opposed to a sense of increase. What do I currently have in my bailiwick, in my life as a human being, in my little shell, my eggshell? What can I, what genius do I have? And I believe we all have it. Maybe it's unrealized, but we all have it. How do I take that then and give it to the world to make the world better for me having done it? Mm. And that's a, that's an aha moment, I think, that I had in my last cardiac arrest. And I think that a lot of people do. They look at how do I mitigate mm. problem and challenge as opposed to forget that. How do I take what I'm good at and make it better? Because I'm really good at something that nobody else is really good at. That's an awesome way to look at it. I mean, my mind was racing as you were talking about that. And I'm thinking, well, it's, it goes back to that concept of being grateful for what you have and what you've been gifted with. And instead of focusing on fears and, like you said, the challenges and obstacles, get rid of that focus and instead focus on what you've already got in your basket, right? Yeah, it's already, it's already sitting there. It's already there. Yeah, that's awesome. And it is genius. It's simple. It is. I think we all have something. Well, we're all different. There's what, almost seven plus billion people on the face of the planet. Everyone's different. So in that respect, there's zero competition for anybody. Mm-hmm. What about the people who don't know what their purpose is? And they, they are listening to this right now. And they're like, I don't know. How am I supposed to change the world? I just go to my nine to five every day. And you know, I mean, I provide for my family. Is that my purpose? You know, and that's a, that's a question that I get as a consultant a lot. People go, well, I don't really know what I want. And just asking that question of someone, which is th- there's a lot of that happening in the consulting and the, and the coaching industry, you know, what's your why? What do you really want to know? And I think for a lot of people, it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult um, obstacle because they're not raised around thinking that way. We're, we're raised around compartmentalizing what we think about and what we do, and it starts at a very young age. Uh, you know, when we're really young, we have a, a great sense of creativity, and by the time we're in high school, only about 4% of our ability to create is ever present any place at any time. And then we get into the, the adult world, the constructive world, where we should be able, we, we're, we're primed right? We're primed in this environment to really use our genius and our creativity to make something better, but we've lost it. It was not honed. It was not developed through our younger years, through our schooling, Mm. through our extra schooling, should we have it. And our, our jobs didn't require that creative passion piece because we have to be compartmentalized with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So people don't know. They're not asked to do that. It's not part of their daily routine. They don't know. The world's changing, however. With social media and technology, we have an ability to reach a lot more people any place in time. It's a, our, you know, our economies are different. 
it is giving us the the playground to be able to truly think about what is our genius piece mm, mm-hmm. and then how do we offer it well i would you taught that in school i was never taught no that. heck no i was never taught that i wasn't taught that i wasn't even taught that in my 25 years of professional development yeah it's unbelievable. Yeah, and I think we're in a golden age right now of aware. People are becoming much more aware. And actually, I'd like to talk about your book, the one that you co-authored, because you've written several, <laughs> The Change Six. In it, you talk about this idea of sharing your personal story, which is this big, buzzy thing that's going on right now. It's very trendy. Explain to us how this is a way for people to find their purpose. Should they just think about their own life story and then find out how that translates to creating value for others? I, I think that's that's a great way to do it. I, I write in the book about being relevant and visible. And if you're not relevant and visible to your audience, wherever that audience might be, even if you don't know who your audience is, you have to be relevant and visible to somebody. And if you have to start with your family, then start there. But, it, but to be relevant and visible to somebody, that's when people will start to notice. Mm-hmm. And they'll start to follow. They'll start to inquire. What is relevant? What do you mean by being relevant? Being relevant. If I'm going to offer something to somebody, I better have a little bit of an idea of what that person needs or wants or is having a trouble with. Mm-hmm. But if I'm offering up information that they have to think about what value it might give to them, then I'm no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, as a consultant, I have to let people know that I have this kind of experience, this kind of experience, this kind of experience, have been down these roads personally. I have the wisdom that come, good or bad wisdom, the wisdom that comes from those experiences oh, that God. I can pull from. <laughs> I have those tools and those scars and those bumps and those bruises. That's in my bag. Mm -hmm. That's different than somebody that says, okay, I think you should go do this because this is what the top 10 people do. Right. That really bothers me. Well, and we're going to get, if if we're going to go down this road, it's going to be a really negative road. And I don't mean it to be negative, but there's a huge challenge in the consulting and the coaching industry now, right now to to do nothing more than aggregate information from other people yes. and then market that as a way to do it. Yes. Well, that's I okay. absolutely agree with you. I, I think it's okay too, but it's also detrimental because it's taking away personal uniqueness and creativity. Sure it is. Sure it is. And, and look, at I, I'm getting, I have a, a number of clients now that come to me and say they, 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 you know, paid a lot of money to this individual, this group to get this information. Mm-hmm. And what that group did is they aggregated the top 10, 15, 10, 15 things from the biggest leaders. Great information, by the way. Sure. It should be part of your education, but it shouldn't be the only thing. The challenge comes when the person that buys that program or gets that kind of coaching consulting and they implement it. And now they have roadblocks and challenges. The person that gave it to them can't give them the critique and the direction and the ideas of how to get out of it or to get past or to capitalize on it because they weren't there themselves. Right. And so now they come and they're, they're disenchanted. And I think after two or three years of that being a big consulting change in paradigm, it, it's starting to it's starting to grow and we're starting to see these things pop up everywhere in every industry about the, the antiquated challenges that people are having because now that they've implemented things, now they're starting to see the ramifications and the opportunities that come from that, but they don't know how to capitalize mm-hmm. on or, or guard themselves from because the person or the group that offered it didn't have and don't have 
that experience. Yeah. You can't just take it and be cookie cutter about it and ta- and assume that it's going to be successful for every single person. And I feel like people are nowadays, there's this whole shift towards like being an entrepreneur. And it's like people are younger and younger and younger. I'm seeing like, you know, 18 year old people on Instagram about I'm an entrepreneur and like, look at my stuff that I'm getting, you know, with my online business and this kind of thing. And it's, it makes me worried that people aren't learning how to build a business on their own. And I think that the challenges associated with building a business make you better as a business person. And if you're just being given a cookie cutter approach to it, you're not truly an entrepreneur, are you? No. And and I'm going to go a step farther with what you're saying and take it a step farther. And I'm probably going to piss off a few people, but it, it, the, I, it, reality is reality. If you're an affiliate for an organization, that's great. I'm not knocking that at all, but understand what it is. It's not an entrepreneur. You're not having to come up and create your own identity, your own product, your own service, market that, pay for that, figure out how you're going to deliver that, how you're going to serve that, how you're going to solve for the problems that come from that. It's all being done for you. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad marketing. I'm not knocking it, but it is what it is. It's not an, it's, you might be entrepreneurial minded right. and you could be an entrepreneur and still work for somebody else. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. you're using that knowledge to better your position and better the company you work for. Fantastic. Acknowledge that and, and own that. Mm-hmm. I agree with the affiliate thing. I mean, I've tried it myself. I don't know if you heard my podcast at Christmas time, but um, I kind of said, hey, everybody, thanks for not buying anything off of my page. Now I can get rid of that useless website page. Um, because honestly, I mean, I had to do it um, because it was recommended by top podcasters on a way to monetize your podcast. I'm like, this is doing nothing. Nobody cares. And I'm certainly not feeling like an entrepreneur because all I'm doing is connecting them to other products and services. I'm basically still being the sales rep I was 20 years ago. So I just, there's just not, it's not relevant or helpful and it's not helping me. You sharing what your story is and the messages that you're giving is what's more of the idea that is being presented. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if I'm if I'm going to you know talk to cancer patients about how to survive cancer, then I damn well better have had hit cancer or had somebody in my family that knows it. But for me to go out and aggregate the top ten sites and talk about the best thing out there that people could use, I would do that in honor and servicing those clients. But I would say this is not personal experience. Mm-hmm. I aggregated this. Oh, yeah. I understand what it is, and it has a value for you, but mm-hmm. it's not an all, end all, the be all. Right. That's right. what I mean by being visible and being relevant. And mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta be careful as an entrepreneur not to fall under somebody else's intent. Totally. And what I mean by that is that is that you know everybody's got an agenda, right? Their own agenda. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're if you if entrepreneurs fall into the affiliate ship and serving other people, you're falling you're falling under other people's objectives. Yes. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to solve and serve your objective. Mm-hmm. It could, if it you could, it could if you if you're only, only right exactly like if your only objective is to make some extra money on the side and not have a day job anymore, that could serve a purpose for you. Sure, um, absolutely right. But absolutely. if you're looking to make a change in the world, it won't. Yeah, if you, yeah, exactly. If you want to open up your own business and be your own person and create your own identity and create your own value and 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 your own program and your own education and your own your own niche, 
then it's got to be about you. It's got to be what's relevant about you. Mm-hmm. Is there anything about you that you can bring to the market that wasn't there yesterday? Yeah, yeah. And then being careful not to get sucked into what everybody else right. wants you to do for them. Exactly. And I think that's the whole thing. Like the whole idea of like keeping up with the Joneses or following the lead of people who are supposedly very successful. Um, but a lot of it is smoke and mirrors, in my opinion. And it took me a little bit to figure that out. So you just kind of have to work your way through and find out who's authentically trying to help you become a better person and who's not, or a better business person, I should say. So so let me ask you, did you co-author the Change 6 as a result of what you went through and your personal story and all of this idea around creating value for others? I got into I was approached uh, by by the two owners, Jim Britt and Jim Lutz, that, that started this. And I looked at it as this. It's an avenue for me to share my voice about the relevancy I have to my market. And it's another avenue for me to share that. It could be a book. It could be a program. It could be a TV show. I looked at it from that perspective. I, but that's how I think about things. And I'm not so sure that that's how everybody looks at it that way. I, mean, well, I was already a business consultant. I was already doing that. So I'm looking at it. Okay, how can I use this avenue, this particular format to better promote what I do and help other people? That's all I looked at it for. And it's a great format for that, but I was very strategic in how I looked at it. It's called the Change 6 Insights into Self-Empowerment. So explain how the self-empowerment comes into play. Well, self-empowerment is, I think, just that. It is relevant stories from the individuals on things that help their life, whether it be in business, whether it be in health, whether it be in nutrition, marriage, whatever it is. It's relevant history and stories from people that have experiences that is that have enriched their lives. Mm-hmm. And they're aggregated in this book. And then the, then there's, I think there's like up to 12 volumes of this book now. So 150, 160, wow. 170, you know, co-authors that right there has created something that hasn't existed in the, mm-hmm. in the literary industry mm-hmm. before is that many aggregated authors coming together to help make the world a better place by mm-hmm. offering their wisdom and their experience. What is your advice to uh, the listeners about getting out of their own way in order to do great things? What if they're still kind of scratching their head and they're like, well, this all sounds great, but you know, I haven't been through some extreme hardship in some way or, or tried to be an entrepreneur. You know, I just sit in my cubicle day to day. What's your advice to them? I think people really have to look at why are they waking up in the morning? We, a lot of us go through the motion because we're obligated. Mm-hmm. We have obligations. We have family obligations. We have financial obligations. And that might be the extent to which a lot of people navigate their day. Mm-hmm. Something wrong with that. That's that's not a, a shame on you. It's not a shame on me. It, it's it's not anything. It, 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 it just is. I think there's a, a lot of, uh, of opportunity that's lost with that. Um, it still comes down to what people want. Are you dissatisfied with? Do you want more of? Do you want to contribute to? And I think if you don't have those drives, it's going to be difficult to come up with something. 
and just fabricating something for the sake of being in the industry is is going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Find out the one thing. We, we're all good at one thing or we really like one thing. Whatever the case may be, we all have a talent to do something. You know, if I I may be the best knitter in the in the world, and people will say, "Well, I just got the visual." Oh, Thank you, Alan. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> big long gold needles. My mom had those growing up. So my grandma. That's awesome. And and thinking about, well, who in the world's going to want to know that? Well, there's a woman that I follow that makes twelve thousand dollars a month telling people how to knit. Wow. So don't you can't. I will no longer accept the fact that there's nobody out there that wants to know what you have talent in. Yeah. No, That's I love no that. The case. I it, love that. It, 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 it's real. It's it, it, Pick something that you like that you have passion mm-hmm. for. And offer it. Well, that's it's the thing. It's easy now. Well, it's easy now. I don't know where it's going to go, but offer it. Totally. Well, I think we all grow up with these limited belief systems that get handed down from our, our parents and our grandparents or whatever. Their beliefs that, you know, you must be doing this. Don't do what you love. Don't do what makes you happy because that should just be a hobby. You should keep that on the side so it stay, you know, keeps you happy. But do all this other stuff because that's what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that that's where the block comes for certain people where they're just like, ah, I don't feel free to, you know, create something out of my, my obsession with knitting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Well, nobody's given them permission to do that. Right. 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 I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't growing up. Nobody said, hey, you take, take your thing and go for it. Well, oh, you know man. I, I wish I had that, Alan. Well, so do I. I, 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 but I'll tell you, I wouldn't be here if there weren't in excess of probably 2,000 people that spent their life doing what they love to do. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. I may and, be and so eating it's, macaroni it's, and cheese right now, but I love what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you should love what you do because if you love what you do and you can get some help to express it and to package it and to have somebody help you navigate and offer it then life is 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 just a new for you totally that be to anybody that's out there just be careful who you listen to totally you know be careful who you listen to do your homework doesn't come easy folks you got to do the homework sorry there's no way to get around to doing the homework. that's right even with technology there's no way of getting around to doing your own homework and there's There's also There's also one thing about just knowing information because you read it, because you were able to look it up in today's, you know, in today's world, you could just look anything up on the internet, right? Sure. Back in the day, it had to be about experience, about uh, mentorship and all of that kind of stuff. Now people could just look it up. But there's a difference between knowing that information and actually experiencing it. So you could be like knowledgeable, but there's a different aspect to it when you've actually gone through it. Right. Exactly. And I think that's that I think that's what we were talking about earlier when, you know, a lot of folks are are becoming disenchanted with maybe their results because the venue they picked thinking that maybe it was all inclusive left out a very big piece, maybe Mm -hmm. maybe even unintentionally. Mm-hmm. But left out a very big piece that says, what if, what happens when, how do I navigate this that was never part of the routine or part of the program? Right. And there is no, there is no backstory there. And if you don't have the backstory, it's going to, if you don't have the backstory, you can still offer yourself, just say it's limited. It's okay to do that, folks. It's, it, you don't lie about it. You offer what you have and be honest about what you have. Because mm-hmm. somebody out there needs that. There's probably way more people out there that need that than you might expect. Mm-hmm. But you got to be honest and transparent in what you offer. Totally. 
So you've done so many different things. What would you want to be most remembered for? Would it be the hospitals you've designed when you gave back to that, to the healthcare community? Would it be your clients? Who do you want to be most remembered by? And what do you most want to be remembered by? I want to be remembered by being a gracious and grateful human being. And how that gets, how that story gets told, I suppose, is, is, in, is, in, is in a couple different ways. It's through those that know me, my family, but it's also through those that have experienced life with me. And if that's through a client base, through the, uh, the volunteer work that I do, if it's through the books that I write and the articles and then the, the public artifacts, as I, as I call them, you'll hear about me say public artifacts a lot. And that's just the, the ways that people know about you, the writings, the TV shows, the, the articles, the interviews, the podcasts. If you're consistent with your message and, and that that's what I want to be known for. I want that consistency in being grateful and respective and helping others find their genius and bringing it to light. That's awesome. Because I think if, you, if you're off, if you're honest with that, then that's your bailiwick. That's the guide you use for every decision you ever have. Wow. That's awesome. Well, then I'm going to really embrace my East Coast brassy broad approach. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fantastic to me. <laughs> What's coming up for you, Alan? I know you have a lot going on, but uh, you have some new ventures going on with uh, your buddy Christopher Cumbie, right? I do. Uh, Chris and I have, have uh, I've got a partner for those that don't know. You can find out on, on my website and on Chris's website. But uh, Chris Cumbie and I have developed a couple of things together. Like uh, uh, like Michelle has said, we have we have a podcast. We developed some businesses from that. But we have some things that we're offering. We haven't offered a lot of product and service to a lot of people. That wasn't our initial goal in doing the things that we're doing, but we're being asked about it. So we, we've put together uh, programs and services and some membership um, uh, venues for people to really learn from our experiences, things that we have done. Um, you know, we've put we're we're doing public speaking now, whereas that never was a big push. It is something we want to do because it helps to get our our voice out into the marketplace and uh, another way for us to be able to offer up, you know, our scars, bumps, and bruises, another vessel, another voice, mm-hmm. another venue to be heard. And uh, we're, we're progressing that and we're teaching some of that. Uh, but basically, we're taking what we've learned, what we know to be true, the results that we have gotten, and then packaging that uh, for use with uh, companies, with individuals, especially with young entrepreneurs that, that need a good fresh start and uh, how to make that happen and, and showing them how to get their voice, how to find their genius and really put it out there and how to really package it and, uh, and, and to answer some of those questions that we've talked about today. That's awesome. And it's called the Maverick Mastermind Group. Is that right? Yeah, it's the Maverick Mastermind and uh, Maverick Mentoring. Mm-hmm. We've got two. One one's a little bit uh, a little bit heavier than the other, but uh, we we want to do some 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 monthly membership pieces. You know, a way to to take care of our financial obligations, but also a way for us to work with a large contingent of people. And there's a lot of these type programs out there. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a lot more as time goes on because that's what our audience wants. And when I say our audience, I mean everybody that's thinking about servicing somebody else, anybody yeah. that's in service to somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's, it needs these, needs these products and tools. And by the way, you can't learn all that you need from just one person. Absolutely. You're I absolutely ha- agree. I, I have mentors. I have people that I buy products from that I learn from every day of the week. 
I don't buy them every day of the week, but I learn every day of the week. Mm-hmm. But anybody that that's promoting the fact that they have the answer to your challenges is I be real be real wary. I say away from <laughs> be very wary. No yeah. one person, no one organization is going to have all the answers to all your challenges and all your opportunities. So just know that going in, mm-hmm. and and I, I think you'll you'll be less offended and less nervous about uh, what lay ahead. Absolutely. Everybody out there listening, I hope that you have been inspired to stop making excuses to go forward, try to find your genius, even though you may not have died and come back to life like this amazing man. Alan, it's been such a pleasure having you on here. And I'm very grateful that you took time to do this with me and to share your story with the Nothing Off Limits listener base. Michelle, you're fantastic. And I would give you this time every day of the week if you would let me. Uh, it, it, is, it is a joy to, to it's a joy to know you. It is a joy to to be working with you in this endeavor for you and for you to give uh, me an opportunity to share my voice and to share the things that, that, that I've experienced in hopes that if it helps one person out there as maybe as corny and as old as that sounds, I think it's real. And if we can reach one and teach one, then uh, I think we're on to a very good day. I love that. I'm into corny. I really am. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody out there listening, once again, Alan Witch, A-L-L-A-N-W-I-C-H. Please reach out to him if you're a budding entrepreneur or even a tenured one. Reach out for his amazing consulting services with his partner, Chris. Uh, Until next time, Alan, you're awesome. Thank you so much, Michelle. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.